Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas to me so that you can flex with these very, very confusing and difficult times surrounding coronavirus and the effects on the economy. We're on the job at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com, serving you with information that will help you stretch every dollar right now. Coming up later, I want to address the latest on unemployment compensation and the problems the states are having with getting timely unemployment compensation to the many millions that are unemployed. The numbers of unemployed are climbing quicker than statisticians can total that up. So let's deal first with the helicopter money. Helicopter money is the $1,200 stimulus checks that are going to most Americans, not all, and there's been a lot of back and forth and confusion this week and changing policies by the U.S. Treasury and how the stimulus checks would be done. So I want to give you the latest up-to-the-moment information, some of which has only come in in the last hour. So people are essentially being divided now into three groups for the stimulus money. The first group, people who filed tax returns in the last two years, 2019 or 2018. If you filed a tax return and you had some form of direct deposit set up with the IRS, your money will come the quickest and most seamless of anybody. If you, in fact, are set up that way, even if you didn't file 19 taxes, but you filed your 18, you, in theory, I'm figuring about, oh, the 20, oh, let's say the 20th. I'm going to go with that. The 20th of April will be approximately when money will start falling into people's bank accounts or credit union accounts. If you fit that first criteria that you filed a tax return in 2019 or 2018. There was a huge uproar and a revolt from many members of the U.S. Congress where the legislation specifically dealt with Social Security recipients. And the U.S. Treasury ignored initially the requirements in the bill that people's records with Social Security would be used to send compensation to people who have not submitted tax returns but are Social Security traditional recipients or on disability with Social Security. After this massive uproar, the Treasury Department relented and is now going to, in that second wave, deposit money automatically in the direct deposit accounts that Social Security recipients use. So it's not a double dip, double count. Social Security recipient who files an income tax return is not going to get 2400 at least unless there's an administrative mess up. You'll get the same 1200 bucks, but it will come to you automatically. What had happened earlier this week is the Treasury said, we're not sending money to any Social Security recipient who has not also filed an income tax return. 
which was mindless and stupid because the Treasury already knows everybody who's getting a Social Security check. So that has now been fixed, and those checks may come starting about the 20th of April or maybe the following week where, and I said checks, that's incorrect, the direct deposits for those will come sometime between the 20th and 27th is my guess. I don't run the U.S. Treasury, so that can only be a guess. There's a third category that is still kind of left in a lurch, like Social Security recipients were till last night, early this morning. So if you are someone who made a very low amount of money in the last two years, in 2018 or 2019, and you did not file an income tax return in either year, you need to file what's referred to basically as a pro forma income tax return for either of those years at irs.gov. Uh, 100% of people who have not filed a return because of low income automatically qualify to use the free file button on irs.gov. If you go to free file, fill out a simple return that should take you under five minutes, you'll then be in the IRS database, and the IRS will be able to then send you your $1,200. So this is a category that last time we had a stimulus check back during the banking scandals in 7, 8, and 9, huge number of millions of people never got the money because they didn't know, they didn't understand the procedure, and they never filed a pro forma tax return. So if you go to irs.gov as someone who did not file in 18 or 19, click on the free file, pick whichever software you want to use, put the most basic information about yourself as a taxpayer, link your account to a uh, checking account at a credit union or a bank if you have one. That will give the Treasury Department a procedure and a gateway to send you your $1,200. You just don't make up numbers. You just list that you had no income in that year or that you had minor income, whatever it is, you list it, and then it will get you into the database and get you your money. The fourth area that is still unresolved is how people in any category will receive money if you don't have a checking account at a bank or credit union. And there's a big fight going on behind the scenes with Visa and MasterCard trying to make additional money by having the Treasury issue and mail to people Visa or MasterCard uh, stored value cards that they can make fees from. And the other side of this equation is a fight over whether it should be electronic forms of sending money, like uh, the Cash App or PayPal or Venmo or something like that, is a way to get money into people's hands very quickly where it can be done in ways that even people who don't have 
bank accounts can receive funds much quicker and much cheaper and much more efficiently than they could with a stored value Visa or MasterCard. The other alternative that the Treasury has no interest in doing is mailing anybody without an account a check because that could take months to do and we'll just have to see how that plays out. So we are answering questions you're posting for me at clark.com ask. I appreciate so much your faith in us that you are giving us a chance to give you the best answers we can up to the moment on issues you're facing in the financial aftermath of the health crisis of coronavirus. And so post your question, and then Kim or Joel will ask your question for you. And Kim, who you got? All right. Up first is Claire. She asks, many of us are driving less. To save money, can I adjust my miles traveling temporarily with my insurer? Or is now a good time to switch to a pay-per-mile insurance company? Claire, you are brilliant. And it's so weird that you asked about this because this was a topic I was planning to address on the show next week. So one of the real winners economically from coronavirus, ironically enough, has been auto insurers. Because auto insurers are collecting premiums based on road activity that does not exist right now. So the number of accidents occurring, claims being filed, and money having to be paid out for um, medical problems or physical damage to vehicles or property is like nothing right now. So auto insurers are just collecting all that money and paying out essentially nothing. So it is really a fantastic idea to call your auto insurer or easier go online, sign into your account, and reduce the miles listed for your vehicles. And your idea of going to one of the small number of insurers that you pay per mile for auto insurance would be a really great idea now. Uh, as a practical matter, we are likely to be back in a steady climb into a return to normal activity starting probably about the third week of May is the best guess from what I'm reading from what scientists are saying. So this is a short-term huge windfall for auto insurers and a short-term wasted amount of money for you and me essentially paying for full auto insurance coverage. But then just a couple of months away, we're going to be back to driving a fair number of miles again. But your thought is completely right, and your strategies are both sound. Joel? Clark, Jennifer wants to know, with a shelter-in-place order, are you allowed to go kayaking on the lake or running in a public park if you are alone? That is a great question, and it depends on how each local jurisdiction is interpreting the restrictions of shelter in place. And it some have closed access to parks. Others have allowed parks to remain open. And what I've found with the different strategies that local governments have implemented, it's depended on behavior of people in a local area. So if suddenly there's a park 
that people are all on top of each other, like what happened in Florida with people all on top of each other on the beaches, then local authorities feel like they got to close the park. So it's really about your and my behavior in a lot of areas of the country that if we do go jogging, we do go kayaking, we go canoeing, we do whatever, it's about using good judgment and common sense that we do in fact keep proper separation from others, the physical distance that is necessary to keep us safe and those we love safe, and then people we don't know safe as well. Kim? Got a couple of questions here, one from Elaine and one from Tamara. Elaine works for a church, Tamara works for a synagogue. They both kind of have the same question, which is they are aware they don't normally qualify for unemployment, but they're both facing layoffs and want to know if there's anything in the stimulus bill that will help them. You know, we had another religious-based question the other day, and I read the information on the expansion of unemployment, and it was silent on religion. What I'm recommending, because the guidelines still are not published to the states for unemployment, is that go ahead and apply for unemployment compensation under the new enhanced coronavirus unemployment. And the worst that will happen is that you'll be denied. So since I can't find yet clear written documentation about what's supposed to happen for people who work in religious congregations, I think for now, go on the assumption you're going to be eligible till proven otherwise. Here on the Clark Howard Show, we're answering your questions that you're posting at clark.com slash ask. And Joel, who do you have a question from? Clark got one from Paula. She says, we give most of our RMDs to charities. Since RMDs are suspended this year, what's the best way to give to a charity? Can I still use and take out my RMD? And will there be any advantage to this? So I think that there's a real value for charities if you can afford to give, but with the RMDs suspended, it would be to your advantage unless there's somebody you specifically have a strong desire to give money to now to wait till next year when RMDs are required again. And I should explain what that is to other people who are like, what is Clark talking about? So there's a special provision of the law that people that uh, used to be 70 and a half now it's rolled to 72 years old, that you were required to pull money out of your retirement accounts and pay tax on them even if you don't need the money. Well, you can avoid that required distribution and the tax you'd have to pay if you are fortunate enough to have money in a retirement account you don't need by giving that money to charity. You don't get a tax deduction for it, but you don't have to pay a tax on the money you were required to pull out. This year, since there is no RMD, it would be best to defer your giving till next year when RMDs return. Kim? James says, I recently lost my job and I want to know what am I supposed to be doing with my 401k now? I don't have anywhere to roll it over to. So leave your 401k where it is, and I'm sorry about your loss of your job. I hope that for you and the millions of others who out of nowhere are suddenly unemployed, that this will not be, and I don't see this as being a long, long, long term wave of unemployment. So unless you need any of that money to live on, 
the best thing for you to do is leave that 401k in place, leave it invested as it is, and if you end up needing money from a 401k, IRA, or other such retirement account, there are special coronavirus exception rules that allow you to pull money out, use it as you need, avoid paying a 10% penalty, and you're even given a do-over that has never existed before where you can redeposit the money in 30, within 36 months and it's as if you never took the money out in the first place. Pretty complicated rules with that. If it comes to that, I'm happy to explain how you follow those procedures. Thanks for taking time out of your day to join us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can overcome a lot of the curveballs coming your way because of coronavirus. Our websites are clark.com and clarkdeals.com. And one of the curveballs that has shocked people, even who have been in the workforce for decades, is the massive, out of nowhere, huge increase in unemployment numbers. Unprecedented in American history. So I want you to know that this is causing basically a nervous breakdown in the unemployment insurance program around the United States. If you're familiar, if you've never filed for unemployment and this is your first time, let me tell you, the unemployment program is a joint federal-state program. There are rules established by the state. There are rules established by the federal government. But then each state is responsible for administering the unemployment insurance program, accepting applications, and paying out the money. So states have very skeleton staffs for unemployment compensation. And they have never, ever, not even close, experienced the waves of unemployment that are sweeping across the 50 states. So you have a very skeleton crew. You have an unprecedented number of applicants. And then you have new eligible categories for which the U.S. Department of Labor still has not issued guidelines to the states how to compensate. So all across the country, people attempting to file for unemployment have had trouble using the online portals, speaking to a human, and getting answers that are clear. Because the answers are not clear because, except for the pre-existing unemployment rules, states don't yet know how to implement the unemployment. So the idea and design of the unemployment compensation in the third stimulus law was to get money in people's hands right away. The federal government allocating uh, an additional amount of unemployment sitting on top of what you might be eligible for in your state of $600 a week for four months with the goal being to get that money in people's hands right away. Now the reality is settling in that the states lack the capability, the clear administrative processes to get this money 
into people's hands in a quick way. So the reality is the cavalry hasn't even climbed onto its horses yet. The horses are still in the stable. And so if you're looking for them coming over the hill to rescue you, it's going to take longer than any of us want. The hardest part of this is going to be for specialized categories. All right, let me hit you with some of them that were passed by the Congress. You're covered if your workplace closed because of the coronavirus, obviously. But here's an unusual category. You had to quit your job because of coronavirus for any of a number of different reasons. You did a voluntary quit, which normally would make you ineligible for unemployment in almost all 50 states. You're actually covered this time. Listen to this next category that was in the statute. You can't work because you're having to care for somebody else. Normally, that would not qualify you for unemployment. And then another is if you have a letter where you were offered a job and you were going to start that job, and then they tell you don't come, even though you had not even started that job yet, under the statute, you're eligible for unemployment in that case. Then you add on top of it, people who normally would not be allowed to apply, which is people that are self-employed, people who are um, independent contractors, people who work part-time, people that are gig workers. So the states have none of the rules on how to do that yet. So how you're going to demonstrate what you were earning in order to qualify who knows yet how that will actually be implemented and the states themselves have been very forthcoming about that saying that they don't know how to implement those provisions of the unemployment the thing i want you to know is you're going to get frustrated you're going to get angry don't holler at anybody at any unemployment office this is not their fault that they don't have the answers but the answers will emerge and the money that was the intent of congress to get into people's hands right away will come it's just not coming right away kim up to joel right now oh joel yep. so i should say joel what we're doing is post your question for me at clark.com slash ask and then you and kim are alternating asking people's questions so who do you have one from clark on the note of unemployment insurance mike says i'm self-employed recently applied for unemployment since i hear that now i qualify i logged in to check on my status and it said that i don't make enough money to qualify something you just talked about but there's a note on the main webpage saying that the that the department is waiting for guidance from the usdol so should i try and apply again what, what do i what do you think how do i handle this yes that's exactly what you do and i will be able I think it'll be clear on Monday or Tuesday of next week. I'll be able to lay out the procedures that are called for in the guidelines for someone who applied like you and was declined, how you then go about the process of reapplying or what kind of appeal there will be that will take into account the new temporary coronavirus guidelines for unemployment. Um, this was a decision the Congress made that 
may not have been the best way to handle this, um, but it was in an emergency, sometimes looking back, it's clearer that there are other ways that this could have been done. And probably the most efficient way that would have gotten the most help to the most people immediately would have been direct grants to businesses to maintain payroll. And that would have been a much easier way and a much simpler administrative way to deal with the fact that money suddenly vanished from people's lives just as April bills were due. But, I mean, I'm crying over spilled milk there. Kim? Valerie says that she works for a rideshare company and where she lives after midnight, they're starting to put a shelter in place in order. And she wants to know if you've heard anything about rideshare companies and if they are still allowed to work and take people to essential jobs. That will depend on how shelter in place is determined in each of the 50 states and in local jurisdictions. So let's take an example. So you have the people working for uh, Postmates, Instacart, Shipped, and the other uh, delivery services for food from markets and food from restaurants. And that is something that in most jurisdictions is being considered to be an essential activity because people have to eat. So those workers are allowed out and about as to an Uber Lyft driver who is taking a person from point A to point B, the question will come, how do you get people who are essential workers who have to get to a job at a hospital or a nursing home or to a factory that's considered to be essential because the the merchandise they make? So there has to be a provision that would allow for people to get to work. And in many cases, that will be with an Uber or Lyft driver. So what we're going to have at first in areas where shelter-in-place goes into effect, at first, it's really, really tight. A lot of people may get stopped and questioned. And then as a rhythm develops, it gets um, more, not, not more loose, but less reactive. And I think that you'll find that if, in fact, you were engaged and getting people to and fro who must get to essential work, doctor's appointments, whatever, that you will ultimately be able to do that. But again, that's haphazard, it's local, and one of the things that we did not learn the lesson, and how could we because none of us were alive in 1918 and 1919, is we had a very high level of unnecessary deaths in the United States from the Spanish flu, because we did not have a clear and understandable nationwide policy. And that's why the death rates varied so much during the Spanish flu from one community to another and one state to another because it was too ad hoc. Ultimately, we're going to need clear, understandable national policies for us sheltering in place. Kim? Clark's my turn. Yeah. Uh, Adrian says, Clark, I'm looking to invest in gold and I'm not sure how to start. Can you recommend a company online that you trust? 
So what I recommend, and I have a simple guide to this on Clark.com, is that you buy a gold fund instead of actual physical gold. It's much more efficient. You end up buying the gold at a much better price, and you're able to sell later at a much better price. If you buy a gold fund, or it could be a precious metals fund also, because the what's known as the buy-sell spread is much, much less if you buy a fund that stores your physical gold, your portion of the physical gold you bought in a vault for you. It's safer and much more efficient than you owning and possessing your own gold or silver. Having said that, there are people who fear that there will be societal disorder and that you'll want something like gold or silver as a form of payment if there's a complete breakdown in society. And that is not in the cards here. We have shown as a nation the ability to adjust to very difficult and unexpected circumstances here. And there will occasionally be incidents that occur where people flip out. But as a general rule, we are respecting the situation and you're not going to find that normal methods of payment are going to cease to be valid or useful. Kim? Lance says that he heard you yesterday talking about evictions and renters and their inability to pay, but he wants to know what about landlords getting paid? I have a house that I rent and the bank and the insurance company don't care if my renter can pay or not. This is uh, playing out in so many different areas. Uh, I think about you, Joel, you have five rental properties. Right. And you've got mortgages to pay on those five rental properties. And if your tenants stop paying, what do you do? Well, I mean, yeah, that's the tough situation that a lot of mom and pop landlords are in. You know, I've try, you want to work with your tenants. You want to do the best you can to be understandable and agreeable and help them in their hardship. But, but at the same time, yeah, there's a mortgage that needs to be paid for a lot of mom and pop landlords. So if your mortgages that you have or mortgage, I don't know how many rental properties you have, are uh, underwritten by indirectly by the federal government, you may have with your lender the ability to come up with a accommodation on the mortgage payments that you owe because you were legally not allowed for now to evict somebody anyway if you have a mortgage loan that is underwritten by one of the federal agencies. And many times as a landlord, you don't even know that your loan was underwritten behind the scenes by a federal agency. You'd have to go dig that out of your loan documents to see that. But this is one of the brutal side effects of this is that I'm a landlord too. You know, if, if my tenant doesn't pay, what do I do? And we are all facing very difficult, hard choices like that who are entrepreneurs, who are landlords, that have one or more rental properties. If you have a question for me, post it at clark.com slash ask, 
And producer Joel, who are you asking a question for right now? Clark, this one's for Edwin. And he says, you have been pinching uh, a penny-pinching guru for years now, and that has allowed me to get through this difficult time well. So thank you for that. He says, but I have a question. I have airline tickets for dates in April that have now been canceled, and the airlines are offering credit towards a future flight. But this doesn't help me. I have no reason to fly in the near future. On top of that, the airlines are giving a time frame to use this credit. So can you please help me in the situation? I need a refund, not just a credit. Yeah, so when an airline pulls that stunt on you and they won't give you a refund, they have to. If you paid by credit card, dispute the charge with your credit card company and try and try again with the airline to give you the refund that they are legally required to provide you. Uh, There's been a lot of news coverage on this in the last couple of days as airlines have only recently canceled wide numbers of their flights and airlines are desperately trying to hold on to their remaining cash. But the law is the law and they owe you that money. And in particular, United has been the most out there saying, we don't care what the law is. We're not giving you your money back. And that is not going to stand. So, you know, we're dealing with very large organizations that are receiving a targeted bailout from you and me as taxpayers, and there is no reasonable course of action for an airline getting a large taxpayer-funded bailout to refuse to follow the laws of the United States. So you stay on them. Kim? Sharon says, I have gone to the SBA page and was filling out one of the forms and it's asking me to put my banking information on it. Is this safe? I am very aware of not putting my personal information onto things online. So what's your advice on this? If you're actually truly really at SBA.gov, if you're doing an application giving that information, likely you're doing the disaster assistance loan instead of the payroll protection plan. But in either case, you will need to supply banking information so that when your loan funds or your grant, depending on the case, that they have the account to deposit the money into. Just make sure you really are at the real site, sba.gov, and not one of these fake ones that are popping up right now. The podcast normally would end here, but because of the unusual circumstances we're in, we have additional content that we recorded earlier today that I'd like you to have access to. And this will continue day by day as long as the events warrant. So this is such an unusual situation, one that the world has not seen uh, essentially worldwide since 1918 and 1919, where we've had the combination of a global health disaster leading to severe economic problems. And that's where we are right now. And so people have fear on top of fear. And think about how upsetting it is for people where we can't even get straight answers from people we would expect straight answers from on the best ways to protect our health, Um, Simple things like the ongoing commentary about whether or not people should wear masks or not wear masks. 
if they're just out and about and they don't have anything wrong with them as best they know. So the lack of clear information from science, medicine, and government has created a wide opening that fear has been able to march through where scammers are ripping people off. Everywhere you turn right now, the scams are there. The Federal Trade Commission put out a briefing that the number of scams involving coronavirus doubled in a week. The number of scams in the many, many thousands. People promising miracle pills, miracle herbal remedies, miracle lotions, potions. I mean, you name it. And know that these claims are all trading on your fear and hoping to raid your wallet. Don't let somebody con you out of the money that you need to live on or the health that you want to have. So we are going to come up with answers on coronavirus. When I say we, the collective we. The brilliance of scientists and medical professionals is going to lead not to a cure, but to viable treatments sooner rather than later. And I want to talk about that more at a later time. But know that these clowns without a conscience that are online touting miracle cures, feeding into your fears and hopes, Put those clowns on ignore. Do not let anybody take advantage of you. And know that the answers are not coming as quick as we want. But I promise you, we're going to have better results from various treatments that are being tried quicker than you and I might realize. And here's something else I wanted to talk about today. And... People have gone through such changes in how they're shopping. It's been fascinating over the last month. And one thing that has happened is that as people have quarantined at home, they have completely broken those quarantines and ended up very close to other people in pharmacies, grocery stores, general merchandise retailers, and warehouse clubs. And I think particularly about the pharmacies. Think about people going into an independent pharmacy or going into a CVS or a Walgreens where you're around, you have much greater chance you're going to be around sick people and people going to pick up their prescriptions. And this is exactly what we don't want for each other is to be around others if we may be vulnerable health-wise where we could pick up coronavirus. So Walgreens is expanding across the United States an existing partnership they had with Postmates. And now you can have much more than just have a prescription delivered to you. So over-the-counter meds that are in a Walgreens you can order those through the Postmates Walgreens partnership. You can order 
things that they call convenience products, which I guess means anything in the Walgreens, plus your prescriptions are available to you with what's known as the non-contact delivery method, which is where uh, the individual delivering for you rings your doorbell. When they get there, they leave the items on your front stoop, and they're gone. And then the app will also tell you that they have arrived with your items. This is a much better idea than people being crowded on top of each other. We have a, a CVS near our house. And when I drove by it yesterday, I was like, Diane, my wife was with me. We were looking because every single space in the parking lot was full and nobody was lined up outside. There was no, there was no tape thing where people were being let in in numbers. So everybody was just in there all at once. Not a great idea. So I'm glad that Walgreens is going to this delivery method. Wanted to tell you something else. If you have faced very large crowds at the big general merchandise retailers, there is a brand new report from MarketWatch that traffic in the major retailers is declining. Um, Walmart's sales last week are down roughly 7% over the same week a year ago. Costco down almost 9%. And Target is down 21%. So the people that were in the general merchandise retailers, and at least in terms of Costco, we don't know Sam's Club, that the traffic numbers and the huge crowds have now dissipated. A very large number of people did um, it, what's known as advanced buying in retail. It's like what people do before there's going to be a blizzard in the forecast or a hurricane's forecast, and people go out and buy extra inventory of different items. The item that's been most talked about through coronavirus has been the lack of toilet paper, is people have bought four-year supplies of toilet paper per household or whatever. So what I want you to know is that the advanced buying phase seems to be dialing back around the country and the ability for these retailers to more handle the demand of people who want to come in and give good separation among shoppers is now increasing in addition sam's club has implemented senior citizen kind of like quarantine shopping tuesday mornings and thursday mornings check your local club for how the Sam's Club shopping works, where you don't come in the store, the store comes to you. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.